Welcome to the Canadian Sports Medicine Report podcast. My name is Dr. Rich Tranholm, and I will be your host for today's podcast, where we are having an informative yet informal chat with Dr. Andy Marshall, who was the chief medical officer for the Canadian Paralympic team over in Beijing this past winter, and with Dr. Lee Schofield, who was the chief doctor over for the able-bodied Canadian Olympic team uh, at the Winter Olympics over in Beijing. Before we get going, here's a little synopsis of what we're trying to achieve with this podcast. Aligning with the philosophies and objectives of the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine, our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire our listeners who might be a patient, but also could be a medical professional, rehab specialist, and medical learners heading into this amazing field of medicine and rehabilitation. In today's episode, we have the pleasure to speak with these two amazing individuals who have worked at numerous games around the world, and we hope not only to learn a little bit more about medical event uh, execution and how you know, we organize these medical uh, aspects of these uh, large games and how COVID-19 has impacted the organization, the execution, and we're going to tap into even the uh, future changes that's going to play in medical coverage of these events from here on in. But we also hope to pick up some practical tips and review whatever relevant research is out there that we can incorporate into your day-to-day practice. So Andy, as top dog for the Paralympic team, Give us a little bit of background about how you had this uh, CMO position drop into your lap when you started, how many games you've done, a little bit about you, all that jazz. Oh, I've been doing this uh, back since 2007. That was my first games, which uh, started with Canada Winter Games. And then uh, very shortly after that, ended up uh, going to the uh, uh, Pan Am Games in Rio because uh, they decided they needed an orthopedic surgeon at the last minute. And, uh, applicants have won, which uh, let me go. <laughs> so from there, uh, through sort of a mixture of good luck and uh, being uh, being in the right place at the right time in terms of uh, applying, I went to the Olympic Games both in 2008 in Beijing, which was kind of an interesting uh, thing because uh, these games, I actually visited some of the places that we actually we were in 2008. Um, and then through to 2012, I worked with the Olympic Committee, uh, came Olympic Committee, and then took a little hiatus away from uh, from games coverage, and then picked back up in 2015. And since then, I've been with the uh, Paralympic Committee and uh, have done three, four games, four games, four <laughs> uh, Paralympic games, and uh, and two Para Pan Ams with them in that in what seems like a very short period of time. Yeah, that's busy schedule. So, you know, to tie this in with your busy orthopedic practice, that's uh, that is pretty uh, uh, pretty intense. Yeah. Now, I was lucky enough to have a background. Both I was a family doctor or GP back then uh, for a couple of years, and uh, did have a military practice, which really kind of prepares you for these kind of events because it's all about planning, going somewhere in the world, and setting up a clinic, and then. Uh, coming home after you're done. So very similar to, to games coverage. That's cool. And what about you, Lee? How did, uh, like you've done, you see, it always seems like you're traveling. I don't want to see what your uh, error miles uh, account looks like, but uh, how did you get into uh, doing these major events? Well, uh, our flights are usually economy fare, so uh, those air miles are not usually <laughs> that high relative to the distance traveled. But 
Uh, I also got my intro to games coverage at uh, Canada Winter Games in Halifax, actually, in 2011. Um, I've been working as a family physician and uh, and sport and exercise medicine doctor here in Toronto for the last 12 years and had the opportunity to go to those games. Uh, and I would echo what Andy said, a little bit of being in the right place at the right time and uh, you know demonstrating a good work ethic, I think, and ability to work with others gave me the chance to go to my first uh, international event at the summer uh, university games in Kazan, uh, Russia, uh, if I'm allowed to say that, uh, in 2013. Um, and so from there, really things, um, I had the opportunity to expand. And um, you know, since then, I've had the chance to attend uh, four Olympic games, uh, winter and summer, in a variety of roles as a member of the core um, health services team, through to the chief doctor in the last event in Beijing and as a member of an NSO with Canada Soccer on the women's team in uh, Tokyo in 2020. Um, and partly apart from that, um, I've had the chance to uh, attend a few other multi-sport or games similar to that, two Pan Ams, uh, two winter university games, um, but then also had the chance to be on the host side of events, uh, being a venue lead here in Toronto for Toronto 2015 for the para athletics venue. Uh, and then in a couple of years later at the Invictus games here in Toronto, uh, with Dr. Steve Dilkus as our co chief medical officers on the host organizing side. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's really been a wide breadth of experience and chance to sort of see things from different lenses. And I think every event has something different about it. You know, sometimes they're not as um, obvious as something like COVID per se, but there's always a unique um, piece to the events in an exciting way, but also sometimes in uh, a way in which it presents challenges and you know opportunities for your group to learn and adapt. That's cool, and I think the neat thing that, or the neat um, perspective that both of you guys will have had, you know, as an international do or doing medical uh, coverage um, internationally, is to to see the pre-COVID and the post or the intra-COVID and now as we head into hopefully post-COVID, you know, what, uh, what really has, um, what has changed. So like, what are the top level highlights of, you know, the differences between, you know, before, uh, you know, maybe your most recent games other than uh, like before Beijing and um, these games that, uh, that stand out in your mind as to, medical execution, um, you know, maybe aside from the obvious hand washing and masking and PPEing, but, you know, how did, how did COVID affect your ability to provide coverage at these games? Well, I can start. I think one of the big things that's, uh, did change is that organizing committees and, you know, people on the ground where we're going, um, in the past have been maybe a little bit lax in terms of, uh, preparation and planning now certainly there are some games where they're very prepared in some places some countries where they're very prepared and yet others it's kind of like ah, everybody will show up and we'll deal with them if they get hurt and and then they'll go home so um, there's been a lot more protocols there's been a lot more um, oversight from the uh, from both the IOC and IPC uh, at that that Olympic and Paralympic level, but also at Commonwealth Games coming up, and there's a lot more of, you know, 
you have to do this. We have to jump through this hoop. We have to make sure this is done. And, uh, and some of it's very similar to what we did before, but now it seems to have caught the attention of the administration and, and higher up people that, uh, that sometimes can spin it uh, uh, very much. <laughs> I'll say that much. <laughs> Yeah, I would echo that. I think that um, I think teams and groups and organizing committees are more aware now of the planning and what goes into preparation in certain medical aspects that maybe they uh, were not as aware of before, or unless they had taken uh, a more active approach to that, which hopefully will be a good thing moving forward. I would uh, I would also say that we had a unique experience in that we had two games that were about eight months apart, uh, one of which had to be moved, you know, and things adjusted and modified because of the situation. And the other, even though it was, you know, shortly after, um, had much more time to prepare and uh, I think change things from the the ground level up. And I think you could see some of that in the um, in the way that the um, in the way that the events kind of unfolded. Both, for, I think, for the the groups and the committees that we work with, but also on the organizing host side of things. And so, you know, before you even left Canada, what kind of preparations did you have to do for, to ensuring that you you were able to hit the ground running? Because like for these major games, it's a, it's a bit of a a gong show when you hit the ground and you got, you know, you got these pallets of equipment that you have to suddenly put together into these, you know, mash units um, for, you know, all intensive purposes, Andy. And, you know, how do you make sure, how, how could you prepare for this when you're walking into, into a, into a real storm that you don't know what you can prepare for? So like, and that's how event management, you know, organizing these events from a medical point of view often is, you don't know what's going to show up on your doorstep. So how do you, how do you mitigate that risk? Yeah. So I'm going to give a big shout out now to, uh, to major games, Canada, and certainly at, the bigger games, they have made our life a lot easier. Anton and Laurence do an excellent job of, you know, they've been to multiple, multiple games. So it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel every time you go. Now, for sure, for sure, when you get there, it's always a little different. Um, on the Paralympic side, we have the distinct advantage of them having a test event before us um, called the Olympics, where they um, <laughs> they go in and they go. Uh, they do what they do, and then we learn from them. And um, we have great communication with our colleagues on the Olympic side. And then they they say, you know, bring this drug. Oh, we we never thought about that, or this runs much better than we thought it would. Or the medical is, whew, you better be pretty careful when when you're at events because the ambulances are basically uh, pickup trucks where they throw the person <laughs> in the back and carry them off. So. So, you know, we learn a lot. And, and to be honest, I think that's one of the big things that has improved over the years, and especially as the pandemic hit, is the, the communication between not only um, ourselves, but also other countries in terms of uh, making sure that things are done and are done well. I think, too, that the uh, many of the event, the um, NSOs have test events in the country that we're going to. So, you know, normally and the, the, the Paralympic Committee or the um, Olympic Committee may have opportunities to travel to those countries beforehand for site visits and um, and inspections and whatnot. And 
you know, a lot of that didn't happen uh, going into these games. So that also presented some unique challenges in that you didn't necessarily, uh, I know for us, for example, we arrived in the layout of certain spaces was not exactly how we thought it would be, or there's there would be a wall where you didn't think there would be a wall, uh, which, you know, doesn't sound like a big um, issue necessarily, but when you're trying to bring pieces of equipment and set up treatment rooms and whatnot, it can be a, um, a challenge. But, uh, and I think we relied uh, heavily on, getting information from the organ that the sports that did have the opportunity to come into uh, each country. And in the context of Beijing, in those few months beforehand, uh, you know, we had a surge in COVID uh, around the world, really. And so it was helpful for, helpful for us to know everything from what their arrival process was like at the airport, um, what their testing was like on, on site, what restrictions they had in place, the food, you know, in addition to the things that we normally would be checking in with them on um, so that we could get as much remote information as we could going in. But, you know, it's still, you still have those unknowns when you arrive, but um, mm-hmm. that made a huge difference as well. And I would agree, Major James Games Canada does such a great job of liaising with these different stakeholders and getting that information uh, so that they they can provide it to in our case, Andy or Mike Wilkinson, the COC um, chief medical officer. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I, I don't think that is something that a lot of people understand or appreciate that there is a considerable amount of international collaboration to to keep our athletes safe, regardless of where they're coming from, and it, in order to, 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 to learn from each other and to make sure that you know, everybody has the ability to provide, you know, incredible care to the athletes within a really compressed time frame with limited equipment. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think that's, that's uh, something that a lot of people don't really realize. Would you guys uh, agree to that? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's great that we have been able to, you know, by doing games you you meet people and often it's the same in other countries where it's similar individuals are there at many different games or the yeah. doc for hockey is the same doc that's been with them for 20 years or you know so you mm-hmm. get to meet and and collaborate and and it, and it is nice when something happens at games you know certainly in these last games we had uh, um, a curling athlete went down and they did they four athletes in that village so they didn't have any medical really with them so the doc from canada was them is trusted by everyone you know stepped in and sort of assessed and helped them out and mm-hmm. um and those kind of things happen when we were in lima we found out about a new machine that helps for diagnostic purposes the americans have and they let us use it if we had an issue and and subsequently we've brought it along and i know at these last games um that you know other countries had issues and they may not have the same amount of resources that we necessarily do. And they came over, used that machine on one of their athletes. The good, nice thing is from a medical point of view, we're all on the same team. We just want to keep people healthy. We, it's not like yeah. it's, Oh, well, we're not going to let the Americans be healthy <laughs> you know, over us. Uh, uh, there's no trade secrets that we're worried about uh, someone stealing when they come in and uh, and look at uh, look at the way we do things or or how we provide medical care. Yeah, there's no there's no gold medal or silver medal or bronze medal for medical coverage, right? <laughs> there should be though. There Maybe should be. Ask <laughs> that for that to 
for future games. Yes. What about you, Lee? What's your experience? Yeah, I would I would agree, and you know, with uh, we're we're we are one of the countries that it tries to be or has the ability to be fairly self sufficient with our medical services as well. So it's been interesting to see over the years how that has evolved. Uh, I that the machine that Andy was referring to, I, I blows my mind that uh, what I used to do in a lab twenty years ago in university with these crazy big machines now has a a portable. Uh, option that is the size of like six shoe boxes. You know, it's not, um, it's, it's, uh, it's just amazing what we can do. Um, it's like those you know, IBM we, computers that fill a room, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now you have like a little flash drive that is like a terabyte or something yeah. like that. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's nice that we have the, um, you know, we have the ability to be able to provide the majority of services for our t- our team uh, and we can collaborate with other uh, countries and other Canadian sport organizations to make sure we've got everything ideally that they would need for the purposes of the event. Um, and I think that helps everything to uh, run a little bit more smoothly as well, because we have an idea of what they are bringing, what we have. Uh, in, in the case, sometimes we we hear about what other groups have so that we can learn from that mo- uh, moving forward. And, you know, and that was certainly um, that list and had to evolve with COVID, um, mm-hmm. in terms of the medication, even even until you know the time that we left, we're looking at uh, new what new treatments are being recommended uh, through health agencies and whatnot for people that are t- treatment of post infectious COVID that may still have a cough or you know so that that all of those services and supplies and whatnot that you're bringing are being updated and um, adjusted up until you're there and sometimes even while you're there. Hmm. Do you guys ever have to get stuff shipped over? Like when you're like, oh my God, we, so, this, is, this is vital that we need. Abs- absolutely. And, you know, it's, I think it, uh, one funny example, I, I think, is in uh, Pyeongchang, we uh, we had to have, uh, you know, we use Tylenol cold uh, day and night. I mean, we, we make sure that it's not uh, a product that may be, uh, that is banned or has an issue from WADA. Uh, but we had to have extra sent over because we ran out during uh, the runny noses and people wanting to really optimize their opportunities for performance. Uh, and we, we brought um, that much this to Beijing, I think maybe even a little bit more when, when we were doing the medical list. And I think we gave out two tablets <laughs> because of the <laughs> fact that in the infectious control, infection control procedures were so uh, tightly followed and people wearing masks and washing their hands. And, you know, it just was kind of funny for me to see that how some of these measures made a huge difference in uh, in like what we were providing to the um, to the athletes and to the support staff and whatnot. Yeah, and kind of along that same vein, you know, there yeah, we had all we you guys probably had to change or you know change those lists for uh, for uh, the games that had COVID. But what what about manpower? How did that uh, how did uh, that get impacted by? by these these games like for not only these games but moving forward do you think that we'll need to look at how we change the 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 way that we run things not only from a medical point of view but but i would even think from you know the the administrative point of view there's a huge administrative team that goes behind i never you know really realized that until i went to lima with you andy and like the it's it's incredible uh, the amount of support you get so how do you how do you see that playing out so it's it's a it's a it's a hard thing because on one side, definitely most organizations and this is 
universal for all games are trying to bring as few people as they have to or as they can get away with because there are huge costs involved. You know, I, I heard numbers up to about $10,000 to bring an individual to a games. So whether that be an athlete, whether that be a coach, whether that be someone who runs the clinic, um, a doctor, et cetera. So, so those That's are huge. not inconsequential. And so I think there's been a tendency to say, can we get by with one less doctor? Can we get by with one less mas massage therapist, et cetera? But we've realized in the last two games, because I think really we can we can lump uh, Tokyo into this, is that you can get to the point where you're under. Um, certainly for us, you know, and when we went to Beijing, if uh, we had one doctor in each each of the three villages, and uh, and and two or two of them were in uh, in Beijing because of the sport team sports, but. If one person went down, you've got a village that doesn't have anyone anymore, and so uh, there is a there is a lower limit, and I think we're we're kind of have realized that, and hopefully we'll be able to find that happy uh, medium. The other thing that other problem when you cut things so close to the edge is that it's hard to get individuals' experience. You know, you may not want someone to be left on their own with no experience, but they're never going to get experience if only you take enough people so that they're left on themselves, left by exactly. themselves. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, uh, that's something that we will continue to look at and battle, I think, as we go forward. I mean, you're not going to do this forever, Andy, like. Well, <laughs> not alone. <laughs> I think Rich too, we saw a lot of, uh, not so much in the medical side, but we saw a lot of people learning how to work remotely, uh, at least on the Olympic side. So the size of the mission team that was on site was far less than in the past. Uh, and even within that group, the number that were in the village itself, living with the athletes and whatnot full time was far less uh, than mm -hmm. past games in my experience anyway. Mm -hmm. And so people were living in the periphery and some of the how the um, hotels and whatnot that were provided as part of the games, or people were doing their job remotely back in Canada. So they were, you know, that, that can provide it, um, present its own sort of challenges with time, uh, time zone changes and whatnot. But I think the organizations are looking as well of how to find that balance between, um, you know, on-site access and balancing that against cost and the different pieces that are there that are into it. Um, the one thing I would say too, and I don't know, Andy, <clears throat> what you guys, what you did on on the Paralympic side, but we had our, we, we typically have alternates in place for the different positions of the people that are coming to the games. Um, but, you know, unless there is, uh, uh, you know, somebody has a, a, a medical reason or whatnot to not be able to go, um, the, the alternates are not used. But in the case of Beijing, we really had our alternates um, needed to be available uh, to potentially go on very short notice because there were issues, uh, as I think was in the media and whatnot, about people arriving in China with positive COVID tests that um, previously had been recovered and whatnot. So it was an extra layer for us in preparation for those individuals, making sure they had visas just in case, um, but then also having them, you know, having them ready to go, which is a big commitment given that they could be gone for a few weeks and have to leave their job at the last minute. So it took preparation. It took an extra commitment for some of those other individuals and uh, was definitely a learning experience. 
for us in terms of how we man, because we were in the same position. If we lost uh, a member of the team, uh, that could have a huge, whether it was because they're ill or they were in isolation or something that could have a huge impact on our ability to perform our job, our jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and sure. go- gone are the days when I remember when I first started going to games and you would go to your accommodations and there would be like a little wherever they could stick a bed, there was a human in it. So you would have an apartment, which would be in normal times, we would call it a one bedroom or two bedroom apartment. And there would be six or seven individuals in that you sort of crawl over somebody to get to your bed. <laughs> uh, not quite, but you know, uh, and obviously with COVID that that did alter that so that very much impacted how many people could be into in the village and and the other thing is games organizers are also under those same financial crunches right if you come they have to find a place for you to live they have to have people clean the rooms they have to feed you so they have a vested interest in reducing the footprint of individuals uh, in the village as well so um it is it is a challenge and for sure one that i that i think will continue uh, going forward. Yeah. One of the things that, that you guys are well aware of, and it's, it's an international problem, uh, is the, uh, the highly acclaimed Dr. Google and Dr. Twitter and the chaos mayhem misconceptions and all those kinds of, uh, words that, played into the minds of the uh, uh, the athletes, you know, the athletes' family, feeding them information. How like how did this play out while you guys were over there? Um, and how did you guys like manage that from a communication point of view? I think every games, uh, as a general comment to that, Rich, every games has, uh, I, I think I said earlier, something that is can be a challenge for athletes and individuals and uh, that might be altitude that might be heat in Tokyo for example um, it might be um, pollution or what whatever but you know I think this intro this really uh, uh, added a layer of not only the infection piece related to covid but mm-hmm. their mental preparedness and resilience and bandwidth to be able to deal with that you know yeah. in terms of the preparation leading into, uh, the games, how their test events were different, the fact that family and friends that might be, they might be somebody that thrives on having them in that environment, couldn't be there. Um, yeah. The restrictions on where they, you know, or even just the fact that they have to wear a mask all the time. And, you know, I think it really brought out a different challenge for staff and also for the athletes that were competing and performing um, that we, some of it, I think uh, we anticipated. I think some of it uh, was were things that we we didn't know that we would necessarily see in terms of um, issues that arose, but I, I I think both groups worked to try and be prepared for that area in terms of supporting the athletes and team uh, with those in terms of information education early on um, dissemination of that information so they knew as much as possible, and then again making sure when they hit the ground running that things were as smooth as possible to kind of minimize those distractions, but certainly. You know, the like you said, the Dr. Google and the uh, Joe Rogan and people that are giving that misinformation that they might read can or, or hear or somebody else tells them about or they get interviewed about um, certainly puts those things into their brain. So it was you know really important to make sure they have the right information and felt like they were being supported and getting accurate um, 
up-to-date info from us and from uh, Beijing or Tokyo. And certainly these these particular games, I mean, we, we were dealing with something new, you know, um, much when you went back to Rio, it was Zika. And that was, you know, a lot of things come out it, and then actual real information comes out and people, you know, um, so it, it very much is something that uh, I think is becoming part of that experience of of preparing and delivering healthcare out of games. And I remember, you know, uh, if you would have said even in London um, about having a clinical psychologist, you know, it was all performance based and um, things have changed rapidly. And, and even since we got back from um, from Beijing, things are continuing to evolve rapidly. And so I think that those aspects are that one of the things I like about games the most is it's not only the physical, you know, you walk into a village and you see what you're given um, because as much as you plan what you think you're going to have, it's not necessarily, it never what you get when you get there. Um, yeah. And you get to build something out of that and create a, create a clinic and create a, a an environment that you hope will be functional as well as inviting. And, and then also I think on the other side of it is that, you know, it's not just the physical aspect of it. It's the whole, the whole team and uh, the mm -hmm. whole environment from a mental health point of view. Like certainly in our most recent games, there wasn't a single soul that even when we arrived on the ground would have predicted what would have happened politically um, unfolding as we sort of got into the village. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And I would say a huge shout out to our mental health, mental performance team members uh, on the committees and those that work with their organizations back in Canada. Um, you know, it's it's something that we need to talk about more and support in our athletes in these environments and leading into the games, but also having those services available on site. And, I, you know, seeing the change over the last four events that I've been a part of for Olympics anyway, um, there's still work to be done, but it's so it's so great to see the, the the hard work and time that they put in to support the group. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it. They're the uh, I, I I think like to think that they're the unsung heroes of you know the performance. Uh, you know the the bodies can take them to a certain point, and it's the mindset allow them to go just that bit more and be able to withstand the, the test match after test match or the trial or the race after race. It's uh, yeah, they are incredibly valuable. And I think we see an intersection of mental performance and mental health more and more. Um, 100%, you know, we, yeah. we do talk about like, how do you optimize their performance in uh, in a aerial ski jump, what, you know, something they might be doing, but um, I think we really saw how anxiety and, some of these other pieces related to other issues, whether it's political, health related, um, or even just personal. And that's the part that I, th I think is interesting is that this has always been there. You know, people always have had a, a life and a personal life and other things going on when they come into these environments. But, you know, I think much like in the in society in general, I think we're talking about these issues more um, so that we can support support them to be the best they can be, right? And still yeah. be human beings. Yeah, exactly. 
So uh, we try to keep these podcasts at around half an hour. And um, so I, I guess we're going to go a little over time with this because it's a huge topic. But what, what do you see the lessons learned and the protocols derived from um, and the international collaboration? Like, how do you see this either playing out down the road? Is it going to you know be something that will, will last for or millennia, or do you, do you see it changing back to the way it used to be? Like, how do you see the effect and impact that COVID and medical coverage of these events will change us from a medical coverage point of view and medical team's point of view, like moving forward? Uh, maybe I'll start first, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, I have this question with people in my friends and my family members and my coworkers here in Toronto, in Ontario, like, where are things going? Where, where are you going to settle the normal normality of, for yourself? Where's that going to be? Um, you know, the, the, my comment earlier about people not getting sick with respiratory illnesses and, you know, the fact that we saw so, so little of those things. And in theory, athletes and individuals are going there to perform the, to the top of their ability and, and minimize the chance of them being injured or having distractions. You know, some of them, I think, will make a decision around some of these specific health, preventative health measures to optimize their health and keep themselves safe. Um, I think you're going to see different individuals like making those decisions. And then that same process unfold as you work your way up through the, through the different groups. You know, I have the luck to work with Canada Soccer, and we're trying to figure out now what is that balance in terms of keeping a group um, from an infection perspective, like keeping people safe, but also realizing that the world is starting to open and change. And so how do you do that knowing that there are still objectives at the end and tests that might still have to be done and uh, hoops to go through to get to that point. So I think you're going to see a lot of variety depending on what resources countries have and sports specifically have to support those decisions they want to make. Uh, And then I think the bigger organizations like the, uh, Olympic and Paralympic committees are probably going to be looking at similar types of things in terms of balancing. Um, you know, the one other piece we haven't really commented on is balancing the the, the public image piece, right? In the uh, in the media, and do they want you know how is this going to look so that they can still pre- present an uh, event that the world wants to watch and be a, in, uh, intimately involved in, right? So I think you're going to see those conversations and probably yeah. settle somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, so I think, you know, these the past two games, health and safety probably took precedence in some ways, almost over performance. Um, oh. And, you know, that, that's, that those were the most important people, most important aspect, getting people to the games, having them be able to perform, be safe. But what we, when we reflect back, we're going to notice two things. One is that, Health-wise, the statistics, um, when we're at games, we fill out uh, injuries and illness status every day. Every country does it, and those are gathered together. And those really, I think, you know, as we get the information from the, these games and the last games, we're going to see, wow, illnesses went way down. Illnesses went way down, and certainly from a Canadian point of view, our performance was really, really good. <laughs> You know, so uh, I think that 
those they aren't mutually exclusive and i think that's what we will find and hopefully that's what we will be able to take forward um as we go i mean from a physician point of view i've been around for a while and i can say that in the last little while people are actually listening to us and we we're at we're at the tables and um it's not just kind of like oh they're there if someone gets hurt and then they can get taken Mm -hmm. care of. I think, you know, so I think that will help with both the physical as well as hopefully the mental health of all of the individuals, not just the athletes. Um, Very important in that aspect, but also the rest of the team. Um, Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will be what we can, what, what will come out of this, the communication part of it. I think it's, you know, just the fact we're doing this podcasts and, um, zoom meetings and all those kind of things has transformed the way we practice medicine you know back when i first went to my first games you would take like a couple of textbooks shoved <laughs> into your because uh, you didn't have you know you didn't even communications you couldn't sort of phone a friend you couldn't and, <laughs> you were yeah, on you, your own with your nokia with your nokia <laughs> uh cell phone <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the flip phones yeah. are back, apparently. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say too, Andy, when you say people are listening, I you, I, th- I think you mean too not only like the public and the athletes, but the people that are making decisions in terms of like the uh, the like the Paralympic yes. Committee, the international in, organ, the NSOs, uh, a little bit more, like not just the public and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. And I think we need everyone to be on the same page. And um, as I say, if Obviously, as an athlete, your your goal is to perform. And if we can demonstrate that being healthy helps you perform, um, there's <laughs> it's much easier to get buy-in and it's much easier to have the even simple things like the budget to be able to say, we can take these, these types of equipment, we can take these types of um, medications with us that if we do get something, we can jump all over it. And mm-hmm. and maybe instead of a missing, a missing your final for an event, you're you're back up and running. That is, I would say too, that, that, that with the, the equipment and funding and whatnot, you know, we've had our experience with soccer, for example, we've had the support of other organizations on the podium to provide, you know, some financial support so that you could make health and safety a priority getting to these two, two large events. And that's been a huge um, help as well. Cool. Like what a novel idea, you know, being healthy and being able to perform like it's just. Well, they're more, they really are more like high, more high performance behaviors, right? I know we don't think about them like that, but trying to reinforce to them that, you know, washing your hands and taking care of yourself actually might help you do better. (laughs) Oh, man. So do you guys have any other like quick points or, you know, tips or experiences that you'd like to share while you have the uh, podium? No, uh. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I, the only thing I would say is that you know, I it it's as Lee just mentioned, it is like this is the the village, you know. It's it's starts from the top with people like on the podium, COC, CPC, um, IOC, and IPC. They both have given a lot more resources, a lot more um, time and effort to the medical aspect of things. Um, right down to, uh, you know, us doing education and, you know, it changed. It's funny how sometimes something changing at the very highest level 
floats its way down to the lowest level. You know, like now when we do mm-hmm. weekend soccer tournaments or we do, uh, you know, uh, events at a much lower level, it doesn't have a ton of money. They're still doing things right. They're still looking at protocols. They're still looking at how can we make it healthy. And hopefully all of those aspects, including the mental health aspect, will continue to float their way down. So it's not that we don't have to have some of the crisis that are starting to we're starting to hear about that probably have been around for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, you're going to have that trickle down effect from what you guys learned at these very complex games trickle down to like someone like me at the, you know, Muskoka 70.3 or my little local triathlon. Treating, you still have to do things the same way. It's not, it's not vastly different. Other than you and to on that, a plane. To that point, I would <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would say to that point too, I think we have some excellent leaders in these fields in Canada, locally, nationally. Yeah. Uh, and if people are listening to this and are, like you said, are planning or helping with an event that might be in their community or whatnot, is I think it's a real opportunity to share these resources, share that information, because there have been people that have been really at the front line of developing these um, these recommendations that are being used sometimes internationally. You know, we've talked mm-hmm. about here kind of preparation, but, you know, our we've had our publications and information on return to activity after COVID and other things that, you know, I've seen pop up in other international presentations and locations and whatnot. So, you know, if you're listening, uh, reach out and ask people and you can get excellent resources oh yeah for sure what about you lee you got any uh parting words other than (laughs) what you just said (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah no that's i would say um that that would be my parting words is you know just i feel like i've had many times in the last 10 years where you're trying to feel like you're reinventing the wheel that already exists out there um whether it's a policy or a process protocol whatever uh, I think that I'm really, I think I'm learning more and more about how to network with other people and share those resources so that, you know, everyone is operating, especially in something like this, when it's health and safety or infectious disease, or yeah. you want people to be working from the same um, common ground. Yep. And so talking to each other, sharing that information, um, I think it's, uh, we're here to collaborate and support each other. So take advantage of that. Yeah, exactly. Like that that international collaboration uh, that you experience at, with these games, it's 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 very it's it's similar to you know organizing uh, organizing medical coverage for the local event. I mean, I I remember talking to you know the Boston Marathon and the Chicago Marathon guys when I was trying to get some information for the Muskoka Marathon. Like you know, it's a very small race, but. You know, it's still, these people have been through it before. They've seen it before. They have ways of dealing with it efficiently. There's no way that you, or no reason why you have to sort of struggle to, you know, like reinvent the wheel. It, it, yeah, it and you can always get there. You can always take that information and pare it down and modify oh, yeah. it to meet what you need. But, you know, so, so much of it, you don't need to, like they have to start from scratch with a lot of this stuff in the context of COVID in the last two years. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, use that, use that experience. And I think we have a lot of it in Canada that um, is available. Yeah, 100%. 
Okay, with that in mind, I'm going to uh, draw this uh, podcast to a close. I'd like to thank both of you for taking time out on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. I think it's pretty well, it's beautiful here. I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, Wrap it in. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the lessons learned through this podcast hopefully will serve our listeners well uh, moving forward. Uh, and, you know, the, the athletes that uh, they take care of either acutely at an event or on an ongoing basis uh, at their clinics. So this podcast is proudly affiliated with and endorsed by the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine. For more information about sport and exercise medicine in this great nation of ours, please visit www.chasm-acsme.org. I'll spell that out for you. www.chasm-acsme.org. And we're always looking for interesting people to talk to and interesting topics to cover. So if you know someone who has made an impact on the way you practice or is an invaluable source of information for you, and you think they'd be a great guest on our podcast, please visit the website and go to the contact us page and, uh, and let us know uh, who and how we can reach these people. So thank you once again and have a great day.